Blog Talk Radio. and welcome to another episode of the Gluten-Free Voice. I'm Jules Shepard, and I'm your host today. I'm very excited to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is holiday baking and specifically cookies as well. Today is National Cookie Baking Day, and I'm thrilled to have on as my guest a friend of mine who's a wonderful cookbook author. You definitely have to check out her work. She's got a great book out that I absolutely love called Gluten-Free Baking for the Holidays, so why not have her on? Here we are talking about gluten-free baking for the holidays. It's perfect. Um, And she's got another book coming out next year. So welcome, Jean Savage. I'm so thrilled to have you on and excited to talk about all of these wonderful baking ideas with you today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I really, you know, I was looking at the book, um, your first book, The Gluten-Free Baking for the Holidays. I was looking at it again in preparation for the show, and I had forgotten some of the amazing cookies that you had in here. Um, You know, where did you get started with some of these ideas? I mean, I think you and I share a lifelong passion for baking, but, um, you know, maybe just give the audience a little feel for where you got started. You know, do you have any background in, in, in your family with this kind of thing, or did you just have this passion that was born in you, and you've been baking ever since. Well, it's it's a couple things. So I, I think I have the same thing you do, a lifelong passion for baking. And, of course, cookies are, are one of my favorite things to bake. And then I also have a um, – uh, I think I've got a, a holiday baking history. I have a – or I had a German grandmother. We called her Omi. And she would send us a box of German uh, cookies every holiday season, and it was one of our favorite things. So I think for me, there's something that's very tied up in memory and family and um, and all the things that I remember that were so good about the holidays, they're tied up in the in the cookies that we made. And when I started this book, I realized I wanted to kind of touch on family traditions. And so what I did was... I interviewed my readers about what uh, cookies they missed from their holidays. I went back mm-hmm. into my family's holiday stashes. Um, I searched the web. So I tried to get, I tried to really um, use most of the recipes that I could find that were really steeped in tradition for people here in the mm-hmm. United States around the holiday cookie time. Well, and I, you've got a wonderful compendium. And for those of you who haven't seen this book, it's a beautiful book. I love the cover. It's got this gorgeous picture of snowflake cookies on it. And it's 60 recipes for traditional festive treats. And it's funny because I just finished putting um, some updates together for a holiday ebook that I have that I put out every year. And I thought when I was looking back through it, I was thinking, 
you know, what are these types of, of recipes that everyone sort of harkens back to this time of year, the traditional ones, as you said, and um, a lot of them come, you know, really steeped in, in history and deep culture. And one of the ones that I added to my ebook this year, I noticed you have a recipe for it as well, is the St. Lucia rolls. I just absolutely love that recipe, the saffron threads. There's just something about the smell and, uh, you know, the history behind that tradition as well. It's just so fun. So I think this is probably a really fun book for you to put together, especially since you were able to, you know, call from a lot of your readers' information as well. You probably learned a lot in the process, too. I really did, and this was just um, a, a, a pure joy for me to write um, from beginning to end uh, because I was able to write about baking and then write about holidays and include all my favorites. So this was really a special book for me to write, um, and it was a lot of fun as well. I got to spend an entire year steeped in the holidays, which was a kind of nice way to spend the year. Yeah, no kidding. Well, you know, I write for um, Gluten Free and More magazine, and it's always so funny to me because magazines are on this advanced schedule. So, like, right now I, I ran in to do this radio show with you talking about what's going on right now, the holidays, which is fantastic. But I'm working on, in the background, Cinco de Mayo recipes. <laughs> so it's like my whole year is completely messed up, um, upside down. I would love to have a year of nothing but holiday baking. That sounds like a dream. Well, tell me from this book, and I know you've been working on another book since then, which hopefully we'll have time to get to. But tell me, what are what's your favorite recipe from this book? What was What's the one you and your family go back to again and again? Well, you know, I get asked that question a lot, and it's almost like being asked what your favorite child is. I, I'm yes, sure you I know, know. The, the story yes. from your own writing. <laughs> um, yes. I think that my favorite seems to switch around uh, depending upon what I'm thinking about uh, on any particular time or or any particular year um i think one of my one of my surprise favorites was my um uh plum pudding recipe mm. it's a steam plum pudding and it's the traditional recipe where it's not it's not really um a cake although it's mostly a cake it's kind of a uh a, a kind of a mishmash of things, but basically the way you cook it is you put it into a special mold and you steam it over hot water for six hours. Mm-hmm. And it sounds kind oh, of wow. crazy, but it's one of these things where it, it's a, it's this lovely, uh, moist fruitcake that you then mm-hmm. serve with what's called a hard sauce, and it's just delightful. And my husband thinks it's like the best dessert he's ever had in his entire life. So whenever I think of this wow. book, I, I feel very fondly about that one. Yeah, no kidding. And I think it's interesting, too, because you know, so many of these are – they're traditional recipes that are not, you know, quote, American, and they come from other cultures. And in Europe and in the U.K. specifically, pudding is a word for something very different from American pudding. So it's probably been fun for you to explore some of that, too, with something like fig pudding. Oh, totally. It was it was a lot of fun to do that. Um, and, of course, I have cookies from all over the place. One of my favorite ones is uh, called rosettes, which actually is a kind of a deep-fried thing where you have to use an iron. You dip the this, this iron that almost looks like a branding iron in the batter, and then you stick it in hot oil, and the the batter comes off in a shape. And those are the things that are in the big picture on the front of the book. Yeah. Um, and I've been making those since I was... A small person, and I've just loved those. They're just light and airy, and um, a little bit 
sweet with powdered sugar on top. Um, and those are very fun to make. And those are things that whenever I bring them up, people say, oh, my gosh, my grandma used to make that. Or, oh, my gosh, my mm-hmm. aunt used to make that. Uh, and so that's really fun. I, I really enjoy getting that kind of reaction when someone, you know, when I'm able to talk to people about my books. Yeah, it, it reminds me a little bit of the American funnel cakes, you know, um, and I wonder if that's where it came from. Like the the, the original recipe, the, the rosette recipe you're describing was maybe the inspiration for our uh, ca- carnival funnel cakes that we've, you know, make now all the time throughout the summer season. It's a beautiful oh, picture. Sure. I would love to try that recipe. Another one that um, I loved in your book, and I definitely, this is on my my Santa list for anyone listening who might be interested in getting me this. I would like to get a Pizzelle maker. (laughs) I would like to get one of those irons that you press and make Pizzelles. I've wanted one for years, and every year with the gluten-free cookie swap, someone ends up putting in a Pizzelle recipe, and I just go, darn it, why don't I have one of those things? So your kitchen must be full of fun things like the rosette iron and the Pizzelle maker, and I can't even imagine whatever else fun things that you've got in there to to work with. Oh, I know. I the pizzelles are awesome to make. Those are one of those things that you can make a million of for a party and then you can even do kind of a mix and match thing where you can put them out on a plate and then people can do what they want to them. So they can shake um powdered sugar over them, they can put whipped cream on them, they can put frosting on them, they can put cinnamon on them. Um so I love that kind of thing. But you're right, I, I have a zillion gadgets that I bet a yeah. lot of people don't necessarily have, and it's very fun to have them. Um, in fact, for my next book, I have ice cream cones, and so I got an ice cream cone uh, maker. It's mm-hmm. so, like a wall uh-huh. flyer. And so that's a lot oh, of fun. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I see now you're making me want to add to my Christmas list. This is not a good thing. I do not need more gadgets in my life. But some of these things are just so fun. Um, I just, you know, looking through your book, I, it's like eye candy for me. I just, I want to make everything in here. Um, and I think that's one of the things that you and I share in in our, you know, passion for baking is there's something about just the process of baking that is just so beautiful and so therapeutic. And it's not to me about the eating so much as the actual making. And I, I noticed in you, in the beginning of your book, and you talk about how, you know, different stages of your life, what you were doing, um, you know, why you would be baking. And, and you say later on, as an adult, you have fun and relax by baking. And I just, that really spoke to me because that's exactly the way I am. In fact, when I was in... Um, when I was in graduate school, I would come home from the library really late at night, like one or two in the morning, and I couldn't wind down, so I would bake. And um, I didn't really want to eat any of it. I just wanted to, like, bake and lick the bowl. And so I, everyone loved me the next day because I'd come in with all these copious amounts of muffins or whatever it was I made, and it was just for me about the relaxation. And I think it's something that people are coming back to now, and especially in the food allergy community and the gluten-free community where people do um, – find that they need to to bake from scratch or bake at home more than buying finished products. I think that's one of the beautiful things that comes out of that because people um, in our busy society, I think, have largely lost sight of the joy and the um, the therapeutic <laughs> nature, I guess, for so many of us of the, the baking process. And, and I loved hearing that you share that. 
Oh, yeah. I I think maybe we were the same in grad school. I, I did the same thing. I would come home, and instead of going directly to my studies or to sleep, which is probably what I should have done, is, yes. uh, I would come home and You know, it was a way to feel... First of all, for me to feel like I was doing something, I guess I kind of felt like I needed to do something. But more importantly, it's like you, it was just some, it was a way to relax. It was a way to kind of lose myself. And for me, and it sounds like for you too, baking is just pure joy. It's just fun yeah. for me to do. Um, and it's very much about the process. I really, really enjoy the process of it. And it, it just makes my husband laugh because when I bake something, especially when I'm doing recipe testing for a book, I'll bake a ton of stuff and then I'll just leave it mm-hmm. there. And he says, how can you mm-hmm. not eat all of that stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's so funny. I'm exactly the same way. And I'm always looking for people to give my stuff away to because I just I want to taste it. But, I mean, I end up making so many things. We were... I was working on pizza a couple months ago, and I, I mean, it sounds like impossible to say, but, you know, I was kind of done with pizza for a while. I mean, we made so many pizza crusts and so many iterations of that that I was, my even my kids were like, pizza again, Mom? Because like, you try to uh, use what you're, what you're making in the house as much as possible. But I give away so much food because... You, in order to be a recipe writer, in order to write cookbooks and to be a blogger, um, you do really. I, I hope people appreciate like how many times we have to make these recipes and how many different things you need to do to get something right. And um, it, it's not it's not something that just you know you walk in your kitchen one day and you're just done all of a sudden. And if you share something with people, particularly if you're publishing in a book, you want to make sure that, that it's good and it's right and you've covered all the bases. And so. There's a lot of work that goes into that, and a lot of food <laughs> is created. So oh, I, I'm, I totally know what you're talking about. Oh, I know. I always, uh, I try to. I, I need to get better. Maybe my third book, I'll be better about this. But I try to post things on Facebook, and then my friends in town know that. Oh, it, you know, I'll say something like, "I've got croissants. Come have them." And people <laughs> started taking me up on that, which is really nice. So. Um, but I need to figure out a better way to maybe an email list or saying I've got a whole cooler full of, you know, fill in the blank, come get it. Yeah. Um, because I, you're, I'm like you, you just have so much stuff and it, it just feels, I mean, everyone in the house has kind of had it. Well, my husband never has had it. He, he could eat all of it, but, um, you know, <laughs> there's a point at which yes. I need to cut everybody off. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Especially this time of year. Um, we've got lots of, of that going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and speaking so, of that, you know, I I know you're familiar with the gluten-free cookie swap that we're doing. I can't believe this is the fourth year. Um, but for people in the, the gluten-free community, and I, I'm sure you've heard the same thing I heard from people for years who said, I can't participate in these cookie swaps this time of year, you know, the the ones that people have at the office or church or, or in their neighborhood because I can't eat any of the cookies anyone else makes. And so they're missing that tradition. They're missing that interaction. And so we started the gluten-free cookie swap four years ago to be a virtual, you know, swap like that with all kinds of delicious recipes. And we're thrilled to have people like you involved um, because you're supporting the swap in that you are giving one of your cookbooks away as a um, daily prize that we have. So I'm I'm very happy to have you involved with that. Um, But, you know, it's so funny to me to look on there and see all of these different recipes that are shared 
and how viral they become because it's a cookie. You know, everyone's so excited about whatever this cookie is because they really truly mean something to people and they're, you know, it's a it's a visceral thing almost in a good way, but you know, it it brings back this the smell of baking cookies or just you know the idea of what you like you mentioned earlier my grandma's this or that or the other thing and so I'm I'm just so super excited that we're able to do it again because we're we're bringing that, you know, joy to people again where they can have these delicious cookies that are tested by other people just like them. Um and come up with using different ingredients, but, you know, that are allergen-friendly and gluten-free friendly. So for everybody who has not checked out the Gluten-Free Cookie Swap, um, Jean will be giving away one of her awesome holiday cooking books soon on one of our daily giveaways. But you can go to Facebook um, and look up the Gluten-Free Cookie Swap or on Pinterest, the 2014 Gluten-Free Cookie Swap as well. Um, So Looking at some of the cookies you have in your book, Jean, I'm so impressed with your cookie decorating. What are some tips that you could give to somebody who maybe hasn't ever had the time or has never tried to make cookies that look really pretty or have fun decorations on them and, and maybe they're shying away from it because they think it's not, it's too hard? What are some tips that you could give to some people? Well, one thing I try to tell people is, first of all, if you look at many most homemade cookies, they're not perfect. So that's right, one thing right. you kind of get out of the way. Um, especially mine, I'm I, I'm really not a very careful decorator. I think I'm more of the the kind of um, joyful decorator. I, that's what I <laughs> tell myself. Um, but one thing I developed when my daughter was little was actually instead of um, using a pastry bag to decorate things like sugar cookies, I just thinned out some of those icings and made and got out all of her art brushes. I cleaned them, and then we paint the decorations on the cookies. And that mm-hmm. actually gives you a lot more control, and it also feels like you can do a lot more because you're not worried about the shape of the icing or the you know. The, the fact that you're getting too much or something like that. So I that's one thing I tell people to do is to use uh, brushes to brush on the icings. And then if you do use a pastry bag to do some of the, the simple decorations, realize simple is usually best. I mean, if you just do yeah. if on like a cookie, a Christmas tree cookie, you just do a few lines to symbolize, um, you know, the branches or a couple dots to symbolize the ornaments. Or on a star, you just put some yellow blobs and it looks like it's twinkling. Truly, Mm -hmm. I just kind of release myself too because I'm not that kind of an artistic person. I don't necessarily feel like I'm I'm a good drawer, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. But um, Mm -hmm. I just kind of go for it. I I just feel like no one cares. As long as it tastes good, they're going to love it. Yeah, well, and that is true. Taste, taste rules in those situations, that's for sure. And I am I'm looking at the picture in your book um, for cutout cookies, and I do see the brushes. It's a really smart idea. I've been looking online recently too, just trying to find some other easy tips for people. And one of the things that I think is super helpful and would really work well with your method as well, if you're thinning the frosting or the icing out, um, is to pipe an outline around the cookie of the sort of maybe the thicker. Um, icing and then let it dry or harden and then you're really free to put whatever you want to in in the middle and it won't sort of spill over the edges and I think that gives it more of a finished look but 
everybody has their own flair. And I think until you get in the kitchen and you decorate cookies and you cut out cookies and things like that, you don't even know how much fun it could be. I remember right. um, a few years ago someone had written in to me and said, and this is actually sort of going back to what I mentioned earlier, someone had written in and said, you know, before – my daughter was diagnosed with celiac disease, we had never baked homemade cookies. Like we had done the slice and bake or we just bought cookies. But now we have to do this from scratch. And, you know, we used your recipe and a whole family got in there and we had the best time. And it's one of those things like maybe you don't even know that, you know, how much fun or how what a great memory that could be until you do it. And maybe it is because of food allergies or celiac disease or what have you that, that – forces you, so to speak, into it, but it's a blessing, and it's so fun. And on snow days around here, um, it's, we're known in our in our neighborhood as the cookie baking house, especially for snow days. I'll, tons of kids come over to our house, and I'll make cookie dough and then just set them loose. And you wouldn't believe the fun stuff that they decorate with no restrictions and no boundaries and no expectations of how they have to look. And the kids have so much fun. And um, I just I think that's just what it's all about. So I, I love that you use the paintbrushes. I just think that's such a fantastic idea. I'm gonna have to try that on the next snow day. Oh, I know those were that that really helped me out. Especially you probably had this experience, but when my daughter was tiny. She and her friends, I think the frosting was less of a decoration and just more of a way to get more sugar onto the cookie. And so <laughs> yeah. they would, you know, the cookie itself would be several stories high because the frosting was so tall. Yes, yes, <laughs> so yes. I thought, wow, we're not, we're going to run out of frosting if we keep doing that. So the, the painting thing also was helpful for that, um, you know, because, I, you probably experienced that whole thing where you had a, a cookie piled with frosting. Oh, my goodness. And the boys are worse than the girls. <laughs> They're like, more I frosting. Up. It is. It's really funny. But that's why I really love, like, the recipe you have in here, and I have a similar one. I don't use the cream, but, the you know, just to do a simple confectioner's sugar and milk and vanilla icing, you can get the consistency to, you know, whatever you want it to be. And, um and, and just a thin layer is so good, but it's not, you know, overkill. It's not that big, right. thick frosting that, you know, I think we did, you know, probably too much of when we were younger. But, yeah, I love right. that. I love that icing. And it's so simple. I mean, you just literally oh, get a yeah. little whisk or, or spoon and just wh- – there's no right or wrong. You know, if you put too much liquid in, you just add some more confectioner sugar. And, and then if you want to use food dyes or, you know, what have you, then you can do that as well. And it's so simple to whip that up. Um, that always oh, bugs totally. me um, when people are like, oh, I've got to go buy frosting. No, you don't. It's so easy to make it. You just make it. <laughs> I know. I know. So much well, easier. So one, much easier. I know. Well, the one, you know, the one tool when people ask me if there would be one thing that I would recommend that they buy to help their cookie making, and the one cookie that I think is is kind of the unsung hero of the Holiday Kitchen is the spritz cookie where you use the cookie press. Yeah. Um, yes, because the you know about those where basically you make up a dough and you put it in this thing that looks like a, a stamper or something. There's a cylinder, yeah, gun. <laughs> and yeah. you basically shoot out shapes of dough onto your cookie sheet, and then mm-hmm. you can and the shapes. My thing comes with maybe twenty discs of shapes, so you, there's a zillion mm-hmm. shapes it makes. I mean, it doesn't yeah. make you know people, but I mean it makes you know kind of abstract shapes 
And then you can decorate them with glitter, uh, you know, edible, the edible sugar glitter, before you mm-hmm. even put it into the, the um, oven. The oven. So you've got yeah. these easy, yummy, pretty cookies that are that you can bake, you know, within the span of, of mixing up the dough and sticking them in the oven to bake. And those, when I need to do... Uh, events and, and appearances for my book, I usually make a batch of those cookies because they're pretty, they're delicious. You can even sandwich them around melted, you know, a, a, a frosting or melted chocolate. So those are the ones that you can make a ton of cookies. They look pretty, they look festive in a very short amount of time, and it's well worth the, the initial cost of buying the, the cookie press. Yeah, and they're not they're not all that expensive. They're, you know, I've oh, I think I have one one or two and they're not I mean they're really not that much. Um $20 like at the 20, most, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They're and and 20, and they are. Yeah. They're really fun because they make like Christmas tree shapes and flowers and things like that and um yeah, and they do they're very impressive. So you don't have to tell people how easy they were to make. <laughs> Right, exactly. And they're simple. You know, that's the thing. Right. They're a simple cookie that um, everyone that I've ever talked to has loved. You know, there's nothing in there that requires a, a special palette or something. So they're just one of those crowd pleasers that's always a hit whenever you make them. Another one that's like that that I, I was very happy to see you have in your book is the candy cane cookies. I think those are so fun to make where you twist, you know, you, you put the food dye in, in one of the, you know, divide the dough in half and leave one white and then put food dye to make the other one red and maybe a little bit of peppermint extract in there. And then you just twist them like a like a candy cane. And those are so fun. And I, I feel like it's just not Christmas without them. Oh, yeah, those are fun. And those are so pretty on the candy um, tray if you have a bunch of cookies. I Those are the ones that always get the oohs and ahs. I love making those. So easy. I mean, once you get the dough down, um, then all you have to do really is to twist them. Now, do you find that with gluten-free cookie doughs, do you typically refrigerate them before working with them or like on the spritz and on the candy cane or, or what What are you, um, what do you think is the best way to handle that with the, the gluten-free doughs? You know, I it really depends on the temperature of the kitchen. I I don't I haven't found like a hard and fast rule for that. Um, with my spritz cookies, I almost always can start at least a, a few trays full of them without refrigerating the bat, you know, the dough, and then it gets mm-hmm. too warm, and so I have to stick it in the fridge for a little while. And the same with the candy cane cookies. It really depends on the temperature of my kitchen. Um, so I think at this time of year, unless you're living in, I don't know, maybe the south or something, your kitchen is probably on the cool side uh, just because of the temperature on the outside. So you're probably going to have to be refrigerating your dough less than you would if you were somehow making these in July sometime. Um, <laughs> right, right. I just, if you you're know, a magazine I the writer. <laughs> what? If you're a magazine writer, that's when you're doing your Christmas cookies is in the summer. I I did run into that. I had, you know, recipe testers who were testing things in Florida in May, you know, and they were having a hard you know, making sure that the dough stayed cool. And, of course, the thing you do when that happens is you stick them in the fridge. I mean, you know, it's that hard. You have to wait a little longer. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the same issues with pastry for my new book. You just have it really. 
there really isn't any um, hard and fast rule. It really depends on the temperature of your kitchen. So that's what I usually tell people is if your kitchen's hot, chances are you're going to have to refrigerate your dough more than you would if your kitchen was cool. Um, and that's just kind of just makes a lot of sense. Right. Well, I'm glad you mentioned your new book. In the two minutes we have left before the end of the show, I would love if you could give us a little sneak peek about the book, and it comes out um, this time next year, right? Yes, yes, next year. Um, I'm really excited about it. It's called Gluten-Free Wish List, Sweet and Savory Treats You Miss the Most. And it's full of all the things that, you know, us gluten-free people have a hard time finding on the market or even finding recipes for. So I have things like croissants and ramen noodles and bagels, pretzels. I also have some basics um, in there, you know, like pies and galettes, um, pasta, so plain pasta in addition to ramen noodles. I've got several cookies, things like Oreo-type cookies and Fig Newton-type cookies. Of course, chocolate chips and brownies, that kind of thing. But just the things that I kind of felt like I was missing a lot and I wanted all in one place and that my readers were missing as well. Oh, it sounds wonderful. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy of it. Um, if people want to find out more about you, can you give them your information about your, your website, your blog, and how to find you on Twitter and Facebook and such? Sure. So my blog is artofglutenfreebaking.com, and it's all spelled out, and there is no the in front of art. Um, my Facebook page is the same thing, Art of Gluten-Free Baking. My Twitter handle is 4chickens, spelled out. Uh, just, that just is because I have chickens in my backyard, and it's always been my Twitter <laughs> handle. Um, I know, my, for a long time. Um, right. And then, you know, my two books are listed on my blog and on my Facebook page. And as you said, my, my book is called Gluten-Free uh, Baking for the Holidays, uh, 60 Recipes for Traditional Festive Treats, and that one's currently out. And then the next one comes up, Gluten-Free Wishlist comes out next fall, fall 2015. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today, Jean. It's been fun, and um, I'm really even more excited about my holiday baking. Oh, thank you so much. It was my honor to be here. I had a lot of fun. Well, take care and have a wonderful holiday season. Thank you. You too.